Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 271 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, The Wellness Puzzle, with expert guest, Crystal Bauer. In today's evolving world of business, there's an ever-increasing focus on employee wellness. The subject of mental health, which until fairly recently was completely taboo, is now front of mind for leaders. Your duty of care to your people used to be confined to the workplace. Now, there's an increasingly broad interpretation of a leader's obligations to look after their people, which is much more holistic and reaches well beyond the boundaries of the office walls. The lines between work and personal life have gradually been blurring since the advent of the mobile phone in the early 1990s. But this accelerated even more with the technological revolution of smartphones in the late 2000s. And now we've arrived at a place where the boundaries in our post-pandemic world are often indistinguishable. And still, the vast majority of leaders have no training in psychology and are ill-equipped to deal with many of the complex situations that will inevitably arise. Today, I'm going to tackle some of the issues around employee health, wellness, and resilience as they relate to business leadership. And so that I can go really deep on this, I've enlisted the aid of wellness expert, Crystal Bauer. Crystal hosts the Live Greatly podcast, and her mission is to help individuals thrive, both personally and professionally, while promoting vibrant company cultures which is precisely where we're going to focus today. 
So let's get into it. So Crystal Bell, welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. It's great to have you on. I am so excited to be here, Martin. Thanks for having me. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. So it's fantastic to have you, Crystal, because this is an area where I don't have deep expertise. I've got a lot of experience, but it's really good having someone with your specialization here. So we're going to dig pretty deep today. I love it. Can't wait. I began my corporate career in 1985, and back then there was no talk of mental health or employee wellness. So even when people had obvious issues, and like I saw everything from you know severe eating disorders to uh, substance abuse, known suicide attempts, this was basically considered to be none of the company's business. And this seems to have massively changed in the last 30 plus years. So Crystal, how would you characterize that shift from that state to our current focus on employee wellness in the last few decades? Sure, so mental health has definitely become more of uh more prevalent in the workplace. People are talking about it. People are more comfortable talking about it. And I think what you're referring to kind of back in the day, there was more of a divide between professional and personal. And those lines are now blurred. And I think just like everything else that shifts in the world, um, more things are coming out about mental health, how it impacts you at work. And it's becoming more and more important that leaders, that organizations, that companies really encompass employee health because it is their problem. You know, that is going to impact them as well. And it's the right thing to do. So I think there are so many different reasons why it is important to prioritize mental health. But then, you know, COVID happened. So COVID then brought this even more to the forefront. And I think more people are talking about it. So just like when um, everything else, when change happens, it sometimes can start slowly, but then it builds. So, you know, if people start talking about this, becoming more comfortable talking about this, and then it becomes a little bit more acceptable, I think, to have some of these conversations. And at this point, um, as I said, with COVID, this was a necessity. You know, the com all companies, organizations, they knew that they had to have these types of conversations and prioritize the health of their employees. Yeah, right, which is fantastic, right? But yeah. it also presents uh, a number of issues for a leader. So given that it's a work in progress and people are still trying to find their way with what's acceptable and what's not, what do you think the boundaries are now for leaders who clearly want to do the right thing by their people, but they don't want to overreach as well? Yeah, I think that the big thing here is building trust and building connection and checking in. You know, how are you doing? How's the workload? And I think sometimes if you open the door for feedback, then that can prevent things from escalating to the point where they become a problem. So I think if there's just, you know, the door's not open, people are afraid to share if they're having a hard time or they're afraid to share if they're overworked, that's where I think things can get really, really uncomfortable and things can get bad. So if you have a trusting relationship, hopefully some of, you know, these um, things that can feed into burnout can be prevented because you feel like, you know what, I can, I can approach my boss, I can approach the leader in our organization, and we can try and come up with a solution if something isn't working. So I think it's a lot of the things you talk about, Martin, as far as building trust and communication and um, building connection. So really getting to know your team. Sure. And, and I call this the leadership dialogue, right? It's just that day-to-day -day interaction that you have with your people, you know, formal, informal, uh, written, verbal, uh, group and individual. All of those things contribute to that uh, feeling of trust and connection. 
So I couldn't agree more on that. Still, we're gonna find leaders who are struggling to work out what those boundaries are. And I guess it's just a matter of judgment and uh, interpretation as you go through with each individual. Is that right? It's fair to say that? Yeah, you know, boundaries, they're unique. It's a unique thing. There's not a guidebook to mm, this stuff. Yeah. Like this is what you do all the time. I think like anything else, you have to kind of read the room. You have to um, trust yourself. We're all learning. We're all growing. So maybe some trial and error here. What works, what doesn't work, what feels right, what doesn't feel right. But I think what's just really important is to check in with yourself throughout the process. So, right. you know, have this awareness, like this is important, right? I'm going to try some things. Let's see if they work. If they're not working, all right, we're going to need to change something here. But I do think with boundaries, it, it is a personal thing. So um, you know, I'm not saying, you know, bring everything, tell everybody everything uh, at work, right? You know, I think there are things that should be, you know, should be personal or that are private. And I think some people are much more comfortable sharing a, a lot of things about themselves and others may not. And that's okay. I think it's really just having an environment where people feel safe sharing if they need support or sharing if something's not working. So it's having that trust and psychological safety in the workplace where people feel like they can, they can talk about some of these things and it will be okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. To totally agree with that. Now, Crystal, I've seen plenty of situations where an individual lacks even the tiniest modicum of resilience. And they're greatly affected by something that most people would consider to be you know, really pretty trivial. As a leader, I've always tried to stretch people to put some performance pressure on them creating that environment that enables them to bring out their best. So where do you see the balance between encouraging someone to build their resilience by facing into difficult situations and adversity and protecting them from it? Ooh, this is a good question, Martin. I am all for um, training and support in this area of resilience. And a lot of what I do is, is speaking to companies and organizations, sharing tips around stress management and resilience. Now, unfortunately, some people have not been taught the tools and how to do this. Or maybe, you know, they grew up with um, navigating stress in unhealthy ways, or they respond to stressful situations in ways that, that don't serve them in the long run. And, you know, maybe they've gotten away with that for a certain period of time, but then it can catch up to you if you're doing this day in and day out. Yeah. So I think a big part here, Martin, is education. And, you know, I love when companies provide support here or bring trainers in or have, you know, speakers come in to address this and to give tools to their employees to help navigate some of these pressures and stressors. So I think that's something that companies and teams can do to help their employees is to have, um, again, people who, who know how to do this stuff to, to share some insights. But I think one key thing with resiliency is learning how to navigate our emotions and learning how to navigate tough emotions. We all have tough emotions. That's part of being human. So I think the key here is how do you respond to them? What do you do with them? And how can you move forward? So I'm all about embracing a growth mindset, but this does take effort and it does take intention and awareness. So again, I think the key thing here, Martin, is education. Educate and then try and help your employees incorporate some of those skills to help them be able to navigate some of the, the stressful things that can come up in the workplace. Right, so, so talking about the tools, what approaches would you suggest uh, for a leader when someone that you're leading is obviously quite fragile and collapses under a seemingly insignificant load? How would you handle that as a leader and give your people the opportunity to use those tools and step into that growth mindset? 
Right. I think it's having, again, open dialogue here and having a conversation about, you know, what, what can I do to support you? You know, if you seem like you're struggling right now, you seem like you're overwhelmed, you know, is something going on? Is something going on at home that's maybe feeding into this? Do you need support? So I think it's really, again, trying to build that relationship of trust and let them know, like, I've got your back. I think that's really important. And I did a recent poll where I was asking, you know, what is one of the qualities of the best boss you ever had? Hmm. And it was, you know, their support and advocacy. Like you want to feel like your boss is in your corner and everybody goes through chapters in their lives or moments where, you know, things can be stressful, things can be overwhelming. So I think it's first um, having that conversation. Like it seems like you're struggling here. Hmm. How can I help? Right. Yeah. And then and then it's trying to, to find a way to hopefully find that middle ground where, where they can handle the work that needs to be done. Right. And if not, it's, it's having a conversation about what needs to happen. So I think it's, again, coming back to that that communication, opening the doors to have these types of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. They, I guess in my experience, there can be a point in time where you decide to step out of the loop altogether as a leader. If someone's really brittle and you feel as though your duty of care has been exceeded, and you might have to refer someone for professional medical help. So how do you make those sorts of judgment calls? And I've had situations in the past, Crystal, where I've, I've made that assessment, spoken to someone and recommended that they do something beyond the workplace to try and handle some of their uh, issues, and they refuse it. And so then you're sort of cast back in the situation where you're trying to run a team full of people who have to deliver things, yeah. and someone who clearly has a problem who refuses to deal with it. So. I'm sure you've run into this in the past. Can you, have you got any advice or tips for us? Uh, you know, this is, this is a really tricky scenario. Um, I think it depends on your organization and what they have for support there. So I would hope that there would be someone you could go to in the organization, whether that's human resources, where you could, you could voice your concerns and, and say, you know, here's what's happening. Um, because I think for some people, they, want, they don't want this uh, a public thing in the workplace, right? So if there could be some way to have... Um, again, like HR or someone have this be a little bit more private. I think that might lead people to be more accepting of this. But if you are concerned, definitely take action. Now, I, I definitely think that's really, really important. If you have concern about someone, you want to make sure that you're doing what you can to get them the help that, that they need. But um, that said, I think it's going to really be unique depending on the organization, what, what um, tools yeah. you have at your disposal, right? Uh, absolutely. And organization size and resources has a lot to do with this as well. So, yeah, you know, a lot of clients I would have seen in SMEs just simply don't have the resources to do that. Right. And if there's like, you know, if there's a, a concern about their safety or, you know, something like that, you, you call the police, you know, you call, you call and get emergency, sure. you know, you get emergency help for, for yeah. that type of scenario. But we're talking about just kind of more like, all right, someone seems like they're having a hard time. But obviously, if there's an emergency, then you would seek emergency attention. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so this sort of leads us onto the concept of, you know, the programs that are put in place by organizations. Uh, most organizations I've had contact with outsource this stuff, which is sensible. And I've seen a range of employee wellness programs. So, of course, the more common one is the um, employee assistance programs, or EAP, where you've got this confidential external counselling service that you can refer someone to if you believe that they are struggling and it would be in their best interests. Um, but there was another one I was involved with in Australia, which was fantastic. It was called Mates in Construction. Okay. And a lot of young males, the, the suicide rates are incredibly high in jobs like, you know, the fly-in, fly-out mine workers. 
And so uh, programs like that sought to make people aware of what was going on and to have the whole of the workforce looking after their mates. So you know, you, you're aware of the people you work with, you understand what's going on with them, and you um, can connect them to someone who's qualified not to necessarily deal with it directly, but to refer them to somewhere else. And so there's a whole uh, ecosystem of support there. You know, that, I think that's the key thing. Like, you, if you're not a trained medical professional, like you're, you know, you're not the one that's going to be able to give them the care that they need. So it's really yeah. important that you kind of find these, these avenues to, to help guide them to the people that can help. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and look, in your experience, you've probably seen a lot more of these types of programs than I have. Do you find that they are effective uh, for the most part? So I don't have a lot of experience with this personally, but what I can tell you just from the different, you know, keynotes that I've given, talking with the different people in the audience about some of their programs or wellness initiatives, what I can tell you about what I've seen that works um, are wellness initiatives where people are excited about them, where they feel like they're incentivized, if they feel a sense of community, that seems to have a really good response where people want to participate. Now, as far as some of these other programs where you know people can reach out if they're struggling, I think that those are all going to have kind of their unique, um, unique situations. I don't have a lot to say on those because I haven't experienced those personally. But as far as just general wellness initiatives, again, I think people have to be excited. And if you can incentivize and make it fun, that I think is where it really can take off. So Crystal, absolutely, I completely see that. When you have a smaller organization though that doesn't have the resources to bring in these large structured programs, are there any things that they can do to lift that level of engagement and excitement in people to look after their wellness? Yes, I love this question. So there's a lot of things that companies can do. And you know, you could do something as simple as each month you have a theme. Right, so maybe one month it is um, walking meetings. Right, so you you recommend let's let's see if we can do some walking meetings, and then you can try and get conversations going about who's doing it. Get a little bit of like friendly competition here and incentivization, get people excited. Um, then another month you could focus on mindfulness, perhaps like not having your devices when you're eating lunch or you know uh, mindful eating. So there you can make it playful and fun where people get excited about this and then that can also be conversation starters to help build relationships with your coworkers and that team building and company culture where you're all kind of in this together, you're supporting each other, you're supporting a, a vibrant healthy company culture and that's easy. You know, that's not going to cost any money if you just kind of come up with some different ideas of themes month to month that support wellness. So that's something simple that I think can have a really positive impact. Mm, great, great. And, and talking of culture, Crystal, in my view, you know, culture is everything. Uh, leadership drives culture, culture drives performance. So the goal for every leader should be, in my view, to create a constructive high-performance culture in their team. But when you're seeking to create this type of culture, it's often difficult to know where to set the tolerance limits. And it comes back to my earlier question about, you know, stretching people and pushing them to um, to be better and to have more impact and to improve and to get better results. When you're flirting with that line of burnout sometimes and putting too much pressure on them. So do you have any tips for creating that high performance culture while still being sensitive to each individual's unique needs for mental health and wellness? Sure, I think one thing to recognize, I talk a lot about this, Martin, is that when people 
feel good, when their well-being is supported, when their stress is properly managed, they're going to be more productive. They're going to have higher performance. If you are, and there's research behind this, if people are doing back-to-back Zoom meetings and they're not getting breaks, there was a Microsoft study which showed they, they measured their brain waves. And what happened is that the brain waves associated with stress increased and the brain waves associated with engagement went down. So people were less engaged right? Not as focused and they were more stressed. So you're more likely to make mistakes. You're probably not going to be as productive, even though you're thinking, oh, I'm getting more done because I'm not taking breaks. That's actually counterproductive. Now this same group, they had them take little breaks to meditate for 10 minutes in between these Zoom meetings. They measured their brain waves and the stress was down. Engagement was up. So I think it's um, shifting that mindset around this where pedal to the metal all the time, that a lot of times can be counterproductive and that can negatively impact performance, Yes, right? So I think it's it's recommending uh, mental breaks. So our nervous systems need time to decompress. That can boost creativity. Some people can get really great ideas if if they're not so focused on it and they can give their, their mind a little time to rest, then sometimes solutions can arise. So I think um, recommending you take care of yourself is, is a first thing here for performance, but also people respond differently to different types of leadership styles and personality styles. So uh, it could be really helpful to have some confidential feedback. Sometimes this can get tricky, especially if it's a small organization. No one wants to say anything bad about the boss, right? <laughs> but if there's a way to do this where um, it can be confidential, I think that also could be helpful recognizing when someone's particular personality or style may not be having the desired results. Like right. people may not respond or get inspired or motivated by certain things that might inspire or motivate others. Sure. So this yeah. kind of comes back to that um, communication, getting to know your team. Right. And the whole motivation piece is tricky because different people are motivated by different things. I think there are some, yes. some fundamentals and some basics. Uh, but this can be really, really tricky. I'm not talking about piling work onto people. I'm talking about stretching them in terms of their capability, learning, challenging new tasks that they're able to do with a bit of stretch and so forth. And one of the things that that comes to mind for me is that when I was a CEO, I was so impressed with myself, how I could multitask and go from these super complex subject areas, just bounce, 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 bounce during the day. And it wasn't until I started this business with, with Emma that I realized how inefficient that is. And how, you know, the the productivity I have now when I can set three hours aside and just completely get in the zone and and work in a way where the creativity and productivity is miles ahead of anything I could do when I was bouncing from subject to subject. So do you see that that's uh, once again a, a factor in fatigue, burnout and lack of productivity? Yeah, overwhelm, right? You're trying to do everything all at once. That's how mistakes happen. I mean, I've been there. If I'm trying to get the kids off to school and then I'm like, oh, I've got to get this last email sent out. And then I look back, I'm like, I said the wrong thing or I missed the link (laughs) I wanted to put in it. And then it's like, well, that's what I get for, you know, multitasking and trying to do too many things. So I think it's recognizing that, you know, what your personal strengths are. But for most people, you know, trying to focus on one thing at a time and prioritizing our tasks where, all right, what are the things that need to get done today? What are the high priority things? Get those done first. What are then what are the things that I want to do? And then those can get done after. Yeah, sure. And, and the quality over quantity thing is just so important as a mindset. Yes. Uh, in terms of, you know, go up, go after things that create the most value, not the things that 
you know, chew up your hours. Totally, totally. Now you've, you've spoken about Zoom. I knew we wouldn't get to the end of this interview without bringing it into play, but given the increased degree of difficulty in leading remote teams, are there ways a leader can pay attention to the signs of stress and burnout when there are many fewer opportunities to observe people at close range than there used to be? So this is a great question, Martin, and Zoom is definitely something people are doing more of these days, and it can be really, really tricky because you don't get the same cues that you get when you're in person. So one thing that I would say that could be helpful is noticing if the person's engaged. Are they paying attention? Are they talking? Or are they checked out? You know, are they looking at their phone? Some people don't do as well with virtual meetings and they can be draining for people. So I think it's being mindful about how many of these Zoom meetings are you having, you know, trying to avoid those back-to-back meetings, which I mentioned, you know, there was some research behind that, that that can be counterproductive, but also trying to boost engagement during the Zoom meetings. So I think um, just like if you're sitting in a an audience for a long period of time listening to a lecture, you know, you're, you might be really attentive at the beginning and then you might notice your mind starts to wander. So if you're not actively participating, you know, unfortunately, your mind might start to wander. You might not be as engaged or focused. So I think as a leader running these Zoom meetings, try and get people excited about it, motivated, make them feel like they're bringing value. That's going to help them feel like they are. They should really be tuned in and hopefully get more out of those meetings. Right. Yeah, that's good, good advice. Now, I've got to ask this. Although it's only the odd exception, There are some people who are going to abuse the privilege of a leader's focus on health and wellness. And, you know, you'll find malingerers who who play the stress card the minute you actually ask them to do something that would resemble doing their jobs. Do you have any tips for identifying and managing these people? And perhaps identifying them is a little bit easier, but uh, how do you manage these people and how do you determine whether it's a genuine issue of wellness and resilience and when it's someone just playing up? Ooh, I think that this is probably something that that doesn't happen quite as often, especially if someone's feeling valued in the workplace. But if someone is expressing some of this, like there, there's question around this, I think the question is, are they feeling fulfilled in their job? Right. And, and, and if, if they are acting like that, they're trying to get out of things. Well, why is that? You know, are they are they not happy? Do they do they um not feel fulfilled or do they not feel like they're bringing value to the role? So this comes back, Martin, to communication, checking in and getting feedback. And I think opening the doors of communication, like, are you happy in this role? Like, what do you aspire to do with your career? Maybe they're not getting properly mentored. Maybe they don't see a vision for the next step in their career. So they're kind of mentally checking out. So I think that if there is concern here, the question would be, well, okay, why? Like, why is this happening? You know, what, what are we missing here? And trying to really get to the bottom of it um, to hopefully then come up with a solution. Right. Okay. I love that perspective. That's fantastic. It does lead me to think though, when you are talking about a large organization, which, which has multiple layers and many different leaders at those levels, quite often it will be a leadership problem in a team that causes this disengagement. And that's why it's so important that you actually work tirelessly night and day on making sure that your leadership capability through all the levels is where it needs to be. And you've got to make some hard choices about that. So for those leaders who are struggling and finding employees that are, you know, acting up because they don't feel engaged, they don't feel valued, do you have any advice other than replace them? <laughs> I, again, I'm coming back to like building a connection here. Like, so 
if you don't know what the problem is, like how are you going to find the solution? So it's trying to, first of all, and if you're not aware that there's a problem, you're not going to know that you need to come up with a solution. So it really is opening those lines of communication and building a relationship with your team. If people feel safe, they're going to be able to communicate if something isn't right, if they're not fulfilled, if they're not happy. And then as a leader, then you can do something about it. I think the problem mm. is when yeah. kind of the blinders are on and you know there's, there's no communication here. And so you don't know that there's this stuff happening um, within your team. But if you're able to build a relationship where you can have these conversations and you can make it like a normal conversation like how are things going how's the workload you know is there anything you would like really like to be working on that you're not you know what are your goals where do you want to go with with your career and really try and help get people feel like you're invested in them that you have yeah. their back i think that that really can go a long way so tricky question obviously there's a lot of nuances here but i think it comes mm. back to building relationships with your group and um, making them feel safe to be able to communicate and talk with you for sure. And on that note, that's a great way to finish, Crystal. So thank you so much for joining me and adding your expert voice to what is you know, a really critical subject and becoming more critical over time. Uh, before we finish off, where can our leaders go to find out more about you? Thank you so much, Martin. This has been lots of fun. So I am active on LinkedIn. I'm active on Instagram. My website is www.livegreatly.co. And I also have a podcast, Live Greatly Podcast. So people can check me out on all those avenues. Fantastic. And there'll be plenty of links in the show notes so that people can find you. Crystal, once again, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Martin. It was a lot of fun. All right. So that brings us to the end of episode 271. I really hope you enjoyed this expert look at the world of wellness and resilience and a deep thanks once again to Crystal for helping us navigate the maze. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please make sure you subscribe to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast on your favourite podcast player. I look forward to next week's episode, Asking Excellent Questions. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a No Bullshit Leader. <laughs>